From KZYX, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is the local coronavirus update for Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. With Ukiah ER physician Dr. Drew Colfax and KZYX Program Director Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has been on KZYX every Monday and Wednesday afternoon with the latest coronavirus information and answers to listeners' questions. Bad news on my TV screen, bad news on the magazines, bad news on the newspaper, bad news on the elevator, bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar. And good afternoon. It is Wednesday at 3 o'clock. This is Alicia Bales in the studio here at KZYX with Dr. Drew Colfax for the local coronavirus update. Hey, Drew. Hello, Alicia. How are you? Good. You got a haircut. I, you know, I feel like I'm fully immune at this point, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. So you got vaccinated, you had the second shot and everything, and now you can go back to? The risk-benefit ratio get, get finally to... weighed toward my shearing my rather <laughs> messy hair well work on it for 2021 yeah so okay so we're here not just to talk about fashion hair well i i actually am a leader there so we could have a whole half hour show on that if you'd like (laughs) oh those will be the good times again um but let's talk about local coronavirus issues where this is a call-in show so you are welcome to call in in just a moment after drew finishes with the update the number in the studio here is 895 2448. That's 707-895-2448. A lot of the lines will be open for your questions. But in the meantime, let's hear what's the latest. Well, we start with the numbers. Uh, we added 40 more cases in the last two days in Mendoland, bringing our total to 3474. Um, that is running an average of 24 cases a day over seven days. We still don't know our testing rate unless you go through some back channels of the state of California. But at any rate, our Positivity is still quite high at 7%. And when I say quite high, that's actually much lower than other counties in the state of California or other areas in the country. But high uh, for us and high objectively in, ter- in terms of indicating any degree of control in the, in the pandemic locally. Hospital utilization is still entirely manageable. Nine people hospitalized, one in the ICU, one additional death in the last couple of days, bringing the total dead in the county to 39 from COVID. Nationally, uh, we're still trending downward, um, both and and in the state of California, down about 30% over the last two weeks. So in the last 24 hours in the U.S., we added 114,000 cases. To put that number in some context, uh, the first time we went over 100,000 cases in the country was November 4th. Uh, We've been more or less over 100,000 ever since. Uh, We peaked at 300,000 cases in 24 hours on January 8th. And if the trend continues, we'll be back under 100,000 in the next week, uh, which would be, you know, not exactly winning, uh, but certainly not completely out of control, which is good, I guess, in a limited sort of way. Hospitalization continues to remain um, trending downward, both throughout the state of California and nationally as well. Deaths, however, as a lagging indicator, are still holding quite high. Uh, nearly 4,000 people dying a day in this country from COVID still. The real, the real news now has shifted from testing uh, to vaccine. And we are nationally at about 8%, either with one or two shots in, uh, which is 
pretty good, actually. I mean, it's it, the the frustrating thing is, as of right now, um, just slightly over 60% of vaccines shipped have been administered, which means that they are sitting under the control of an administrator somewhere in the state of California, in the state of um, you know, South Carolina or whatever state you want, rather than being at the delivery site, which is problematic to say the least. Some states have been doing much better. West Virginia, not a state known for its strong public health infrastructure, is doing a phenomenal job, up around 85% administered. The, the uh, North and South Dakota, which got hammered and I think learned that they needed to get this under control, um, have been doing a great job. California is smack dab in the low average sort of metric, um, which is frankly inexcusable. <coughs> The why, other, yeah. Why are we there? Why are we doing such a poor job? I, it just has to do with how quickly the state of California is getting the vaccine to the various counties. Is there? I I read something that there's a large portion of these vaccines in transit, like on trucks. Is that true? I don't know. I can I can send a letter from Boonville to New York City in 24 hours. So one would think they could get a vaccine from Sacramento or wherever it's sitting in a warehouse to Boonville in less than that amount of time. It just I there should be there should be some urgency and, you know, bureaucracy moves slowly. So it's it's frustrating to say the least. Um the government, however, other sort of national news that's, I think, worth following is they're currently negotiating to get another 200 million doses of vaccine just from Moderna and uh, Pfizer, which would be enough, obviously, to vaccinate 100 million people. I don't know when that would actually come into the pipeline. A lot of the information that I'm seeing suggests maybe not until late spring do we start to see that increased production following through into the summer and early fall. But still, that's good. The bottleneck that's being talked about, which I think is a fake bottleneck, is the ability to administer the vaccine in a quick enough fashion. Um, and I think the narrative on this is just way off base. I was listening to... I think it was weekend edition, and a doctor from, from Atlanta was talking about how, how he was able to vaccinate four people an hour at a vaccine center um, in Atlanta, which is approximately 10% of the rate that we're able to vaccinate in this county. And the narrative on this is just way off base. I mean, it doesn't take long to give a vaccine. There is some paperwork. You do have to watch people for 15 minutes, but you can do one a minute pretty quickly if you, if you have a little bit of support staff. I hope there's a sound effect that goes along with it, like some very factory-sounding <laughs> cha-ching or something. It, it would be nice, yes. Um, I have heard the opposite of all the reporting that I've been hearing and, and watching and reading. It is that when it finally gets to the providers, when people finally get through the door of the clinic, it, is, it does go very fast. Everybody says how well-organized it all is. Here in the county, certainly. And, you know, I, I think that's actually the trend nationally. I'm not seeing a lot of people not getting vaccinated because there aren't you know, enough people to administer the vaccine. That's not the problem that we're seeing either locally, statewide, or nationally, from what I can tell. The real problem is getting it from wherever it's being stored and held by each state uh, to the the hospitals or the clinics that actually give it. And then once it gets there, those people know how to get stuff done, and we're getting it done in our county quite well. Thank you. The nurses are who I'm hearing are yes. really on top of it. Yes. Um, also, if you need something done, get a nurse. Call a nurse. <laughs> Well, do you think there will be any progress on this? I think there will. I mean, I, I think there's just enough sense of urgency and public demand and outrage that 
you know, the, the main bottleneck still is just distribution and supply. Supply can only move, can only be changed so quickly, but the distribution should be getting more and more efficient, one hopes. If the money gets yes. approved in yes. Congress and if it gets down to the states. Well, every one of us who hasn't gotten a first shot yet certainly feels this keenly. I wonder if things will start to shift as more and more people get vaccinated, if it will... You know, more and more people will feel like, well, I got mine. I don't think so. I don't think this is going to be like, you know, the the draft becoming a lottery during Vietnam. You're not going to have the, the people who are eligible for the draft and not sort of causing some sort of massive breakdown in opposition. I think people will continue to be fairly engaged in this, really, because it doesn't matter um, whether you're vaccinated or not until the pandemic gets under control. Nothing's right. going to change until we have a really a worldwide control of this pandemic, certainly a national control of the pandemic. But if Mexico is raging out of control, or if Europe or anywhere that we have contact with in the world is raging out of control, then that pandemic is going to continue to exist in a very real way for all of us, whether we're vaccinated or not. Good to keep in mind, this is proof that we're all dependent on each other and interconnected. We always have been, but this really reveals that and puts that in stark focus all right we have an email question are you ready to start taking questions? sure actually why don't i circle back to a monday caller's frustration and she was an octogenarian from fort bragg yes, trying to please. get vaccinated that's right um and i said on the air to call back her fqhc up on the mendocino on fort bragg it appears um that they are pulling their data from vaccinatemendo.com so the molins um, Ted Williams site, which is vaccinatemendo.com. You put in your age, um, and I think that and name and contact information, that's about it. Um, and then that data is being pooled both by the some of the clinics um, and Adventist as well as public health. So that is how that's working. I didn't mean to misinform her, but as long as she's on Vaccinate Mendo, then she should get contacted by MCC when it is available and ready to be administered to her. But what we discovered following up on that was that the clinics all sort of have different ways that they're it's doing a, this. A, well, the, that and that, you know, bespeaks the lack of any sort of top-down organizational control, right? I mean, everybody's yeah. sort of been left to have to develop how to do this on our own. Um, and that's unfortunately the way we've been handling this pandemic from the beginning. Right, which the point we just made about all of us being interconnected and needing to solve this as a whole, the, those two things just don't really go that well together. All right, so email question. Thank you for the show. I have a couple of questions. The office manager at my place of work is allowed to work in the shared office behind a plexiglass barrier and without a mask on. He dons a mask when leaving his desk, but otherwise not. The office is enclosed and practicing social distancing or six feet or more is not always possible of six feet or more. How effective is the plexiglass in protecting me from the aerosol and droplets from this person? What would you recommend I do? Well, um, the plexiglass is not very effective, and if we're talking about a shared space with a plexiglass barrier, such as the one I'm staring at you at right now, Alicia, um, well, through right now, it's, it makes us feel yeah, better. It, it, yeah, it, it makes us feel better, I guess, um, but it really doesn't do much to decrease the rate of transmission. So, the recommendation of the CDC certainly is that you wear a mask all at all times whenever you're in any communal indoor space um provided or presuming that there's more than one person in that space so i guess that's 
obvious if it's communal, but um, I, that boss should be wearing a mask. It's not just enough to be um, behind a plexiglass barrier. That's not going to stop the aerosols or the droplets that he may be expelling. So the second point of your question is how do you address this? Um, I don't know what sort of relationship you have with your boss, um, but you may ask that he wear a mask indoors. And if he balks, point out that that is the CDC's recommendation, and it's the recommendation of healthcare officers, and it's the recommendation or the requirement um, of this county. So, you know, that, that should, I think, push him in the right direction. And if that doesn't suffice, then I would suggest that you call the county and see if they can help push your case a little bit. All right. Uh, one last short question from another listener who sent this in by email. She's going to be driving to Ukiah from Fort Bragg to receive her second Pfizer vaccine. If she were to get an adverse reaction, how long would it take to come on? Would she be able to drive home safely? Yeah, so if, if you were to have an adverse reaction, and we're talking an anaphylactic reaction, so sort of the severe 1 in 100,000 type of reactions that we are seeing with each of these two vaccines, um, that's going to come on within 15 minutes, which is why we watch people for 15 minutes. And if you don't have it within those 15 minutes, you are free to go and to drive back to Fort Bragg. If you do have an anaphylactic reaction, then you're going to end up in an emergency room in Ukiah, and you will probably be watched there, presuming it's what rapidly controlled, which it almost certainly will be, um, but you will be watched there for about three hours, and then they would probably want you to get a ride home. Got it. All right. Well, but I'm also hearing that the second shot uh, is people are getting kind of sickish from it. Yeah, it gives you... It gives you kind of a mild 24-hour flu. Not everybody, um, to be sure, but a significant minority or a slim majority of people are feeling kind of bad for about 24 hours. Low-grade fevers, chills, headache, achiness. It comes on about six to eight hours after the shot and lasts for about 24 hours. It's not necessarily going to happen to each one of you out there, but be prepared for that. Um, have some ibuprofen and Tylenol ready. Don't plan a very active day the day after your scheduled second vaccine. Right. Plan a day where you can stay in bed is what I've heard. Well, maybe not that severe, but... I don't know. If you could plan a day to stay in bed, why, <laughs> why not? not? <laughs> okay, let's take our first callers. Um, the number here in the studio is 895 2448 Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, hi. It's Mark, it's Mark Apple. A couple of points. Um, one is that, um, you know, the bottleneck is not only with um, getting the vaccines to the clinics. When we get them, we get them out really quickly. But it's also not knowing when we're going to get the vaccines and how many. So, we, you know, it's really hard to plan these mass vaccine clinics uh, when you don't know when you're getting the vaccine and how much you're getting it. So hopefully that will get better as time goes on. Uh, comment regarding the reaction to the shots. My experience so far has been that uh, the reaction to the second shot uh, is greater. It seems to be in younger people than in older people. Older people seem to tolerate it much better than younger people, and I have no idea why. But I did want to mention, you know, the the getting the knowing when and how much vaccine we're getting is really critical, and that's been a real bottleneck. Okay, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Mark, for calling in with those two points. I mean, I, I'm glad to hear that my reaction to the second shot puts me in the younger person category. Um, 
<laughs> so, but yes, the the lack of clarity about supply chain is just—I mean—it's driving everybody completely bonkers because clinics can't plan when to have vaccine events, hospitals can't plan it, public health can't plan it, and if you want to bring in three or four or five hundred people on a day specific, you want to be certain that you have the vaccine. And so far, it's just kind of a guessing game. You know, we get told, or the clinics get told, that they will hopefully have three hundred doses, but there's no certainty of that actually happening until it is in hand. Um, and maybe that's just kind of apprehension because so far, actually, um, when clinics have been promised a certain quantity, they have, in fact, received it. But that quantity has varied dramatically from week to week, um, both for individual clinics and for the county. So, yeah, we, I mean, we got, we got our vaccine today, and we're, you know, we did get how much we were supposed to, and we're going to be giving it tomorrow, but, you know, we couldn't really promise people. We were calling people, you have to call people, get them ready to come in, and, you know, and then you have to call them the day ahead, you know, when you finally got it and say, okay, we're set for tomorrow. So it, it really, you know, makes numerous, numerous phone calls where if we knew what we were getting, we could plan this, you know, so much easier and they could go so much smoother. And I just came from the vaccine clinic in Ukiah. I've been coming over here and, you know, they, they are, they had, very few people there. It was really very slow, and they had way more people working than they needed for the number of vaccines they were giving. So hopefully, you know, again, that has to do with the supply chain. Yeah. And it also, okay. it also, you know, it, it hampers the ability to publicize any of these events. If you know, if you can't, you can't announce on the radio that there's going to be a vaccine event in Fort Bragg unless you're darn certain they're going to get X number of doses and be able to get, you know, the right cohort of people in to receive it. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good, great job, Joe. Thanks, Mark. All right, thanks. Okay, bye. All right, yeah, the other thing that we're finding is people who know somebody who knows somebody sometimes get lucky. Yeah, or if you're in the right place at the right time yep. sort of thing. Yep. All right, let's take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Hi. Just a second. Yeah, um, I, I've been thinking about um, the, the, the masks because we all need to concentrate on our masks and the the uh, I'm I'm over 65 and an essential worker and uh, I I've pretty much given up I I don't know when I'm ever I listen to the radio and there's all these people in their 80s that haven't been able to get it yet so uh, talking about the fit facial hair I've been keeping myself really shaved I uh, I know people in, in like in when you're drilling for oil or or uh, up at the steam wells, uh, they have uh, hydrogen disulfide comes flowing out of the ground once in a while, and uh, you can't have any kind of beard because you have to have a really tight fit. It's like parts per million will kill you. So uh, there's that, and uh, I was listening to the teachers on the radio the other day and <clears throat> how important education is. And uh, years ago I heard that, um, and it proved out my dad was really close with my kids, uh, children's relationship with their grandparents is really important to their development also. And uh, sure. maybe want to try to keep the grandpas alive <laughs> for the grandkids. That's really a traumatic experience, losing them. Um, well, thank yeah. you for your points. And, uh, you know, the education is certainly um, something that we've been, I think, emphasizing the need to prioritize um, both locally and yeah. statewide. I think the county's on board. Um, hopefully it doesn't sort of denigrate into the the state of the, the uh, 
city of San Francisco suing the school board to open the schools in San Francisco, which has yeah. been announced. So I, I think oh, we're going to uh, you know see schools opening at least uh, K through six. Um, hopefully by the end of the month, if the level layers of bureaucracy can be slashed away. Well, and the funding yeah, for the yeah, weekly the, testing. The science is really good news about the kids and and, and their uh, you know. <clears throat> the, the ability to open schools it sounds sounds really good yeah. the teachers are you know the, you can get the teachers vaccinated but you get those get get those grandparents vaccinated we're working on it <laughs> I, I know of everybody i know who's been vaccinated in my life most of them are you know in there it seems like the priority is is uh financial is the economy more than you know the most vulnerable people getting you know it should be age-based i think well, thank you for your call. All right. And right now, I mean, Mendocino is appropriately holding, I think, the line at 75 and up before we drop it down to 65, which I presume would include the, this caller, uh, just because there are a substantial number of 75-year-olds and older who have not yet received it in this county. So right. We simply don't have enough vaccine not yet. to even do 75 and above in this county. So, all right, let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, I have a question on the uh, taking of anti-inflammatories when you're going to be getting the vaccination. Now, I didn't hear anything about this when I got my first shot, and now I'm waiting for my second shot in a week or two, a couple weeks. And um, and I'm on meloxicam, 15 milligrams, which is a anti-inflammatory as well for severe arthritis. And I just wonder, they're worried that the article that I read was worried that it's going to reduce the inflammation response or the, um, the response that's going to cause you to have antibodies. And I just wondered if you'd heard anything about that or had any advice for how long you'd want to get that uh, anti-inflammatory out of your system before you got your second shot. Yeah, so there's, there's no data to suggest that you need to purge your system of um, particularly prescription anti-inflammatory or that you need to avoid anti-inflammatories after these vaccines. The vaccines are going to work um, at, the, at the transcription level to code for the proteins, whether you have you know, some therapeutic dose of ibuprofen or meloxicam or one of these other anti-inflammatories in your system. Um, and so what those anti-inflammatories are going to do is simply blunt not the immune response triggered by the vaccine, um, but blunt your body's inflammatory response to that immune response, which from all that we can see in terms of the data um, is um, is not going to lower the efficacy of these vaccines. So take your meloxicam, keep taking it. Um, you know, obviously you don't want to take ibuprofen on top of that, but Tylenol would certainly be safe um, after this vaccine as well. Okay. Thanks, sir. I appreciate that. Yep. All right. Thanks for the call. We do have time for one or two more calls today. This is the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, and we have the lines open for your calls and questions about pretty much any aspect of the pandemic. But uh, we've been focusing on the local response on this show because that's the the gap that where we really need the most coverage we hear a lot nationally from the national news and the cable news and all of that but but locally it's hard to you know follow the response so let's go ahead and take our next caller hello caller you're live on the air hi thank you for taking the call um i know most people like me are eager to get their vaccines but i've been hearing say from my sister has questions about the um 
efficacy of the vaccine research and whether the size, the samples were large enough to be able to trust the outcomes on uh, COVID-related deaths and hospitalizations. And I was wondering if you could give me a little bit of info on that so I could relay that. Sure. So each of these vaccine trials um, had about 40, between 40 and 40, each of the two that have been approved so far, um, had between 40 and 45,000 participants in the initial trial, or in the phase three trial showing efficacy as well as um, confirming safety. Um, so in, a, in that trial, since it was double-blinded, placebo-controlled, um, that means that approximately 20, 22,000 uh, people received the actual um, vaccine. That's a pretty good-sized trial, um, and the data showing the efficacy was astonishingly high. I mean, it was certainly better than anybody could have anticipated or hoped for, um, given the two vaccines uh, structure of these vaccines. It should be noted that these companies are continuing to track um, the vaccine um, and studying and looking for side effects or adverse outcomes. And so far, we really are seeing very, very few. They appear to be extremely safe, effective vaccines that produce a robust um, immune response better than the natural immunity that you would get from actually having COVID. So everything points toward these two vaccines being extremely safe um, and highly effective in a way that's really almost unprecedented um, for any vaccine for anything that has been developed in the last 50 years. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> sure. All right. Thanks for that call. I hope that okay. that comforts your sister. <laughs> it may not. I mean, there's there's there, you know, there's so much anxiety around vaccines. Um, you know, it's it's hard to sort of use data to um, persuade somebody who you know may just be very vaccine anxious. Shall we yeah, say? she's it's, not. She was reading the study. She's pretty pretty smart cookie, and she was looking at things that shows like. Um, summaries of the studies that indicated strength of, uh, what's the word, strength of reliability of some, some of the outcomes. So, like, Yeah, the, the P numbers, <laughs> sort of, sort of the, the confidence intervals on these studies are is extraordinarily high. Um, and uh -huh. so, you know, it, it really does show that they, they work at a, in, in a very high rate. And, you know, further data that has been developed um, and analyzed since they went through the emergency authorization back in December um, really corroborates the preliminary data from the, each of these two big phase three trials. Excellent. Well, thanks for addressing that on the air with me. Sure. All right. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. Do -bye. Uh, you want to take one more? Sure. Okay. Oops. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yeah, I'm wondering how long the uh, the virus is airborne. So say that I'm sitting in a little room, say the size of a radio studio, and uh, talking a bit, and then uh, maybe not wearing a mask, and then I get up and leave. How long before the room is uh, purged? COVID yeah, before somebody else come in. Yeah, that that's really hard to say with any degree of certainty, just because there's so many variables um, uh, in terms of airflow um, in that room in terms of humidity, in terms of temperature. Um, it, it's really hard to give an absolute number. I think um, it's this room. <laughs> this room is fairly well ventilated. Yeah. Um, 
you know, but in general, um, you know, it's going to drop pretty precipitously once you leave the room. So the aerosols and the droplets may be tested and detected in some sort of very fine assay for hours or even the following day floating in the air. But whether that remains at an infectious level is an open question. The the main point or my main concern just from your question is really don't sit in a room without your mask on um and that's you know yeah and and that's you know that that goes to why we can't have bars or restaurants open i mean you can't you can't eat or drink without a mask or with a mask on and really until this pandemic is uh, completely controlled indoor eating or drinking is just not going to be wise at all all right thank you yep all right thanks for the call well that's going to do it for the phone calls um I do want to mention that coming up at 4 o'clock, we're, we are going to live stream Congressman Jared Huffman's virtual town hall on the coronavirus vaccine rollout. That's going to feature Humboldt County and Mendocino County's public health officers and Assemblymember Jim Wood and Dr. Heather Nye, who's from San Francisco VA. So stay tuned for that. You can send in your questions in advance to Huffman Q&A at mail.house.gov if you have questions for Congressman Huffman or any of the the local health officers. Anything else you want to add before we call it today? I think we covered some good points with the calls today. So thank you, listeners. And we'll be back Monday. Monday. Right, Monday. So I have gotten definitive communication from the county that Dr. Corrin is no longer going to come on to take your calls on Fridays. That is over. (laughs) So this Friday we will be uh, having... Carmel Angelo on, the CEO of the county. And of course, my goal here is to give you access to the county decision makers. So that's great because she's... Perhaps, perhaps Deputy Public Health Director Dr. Duhan could come on on Fridays. I also asked about that. I think that would be very, very good. Yeah. Um, so, But somebody from the county uh, so that you have access to have your questions answered by people who are in positions of decision making. So we're glad that Carmel Angelo is going to be here on Friday. And yeah, we'll as we move forward, we'll try to... We'll try to get other folks from the county to, to come on. I just think that's really, really important because the decisions that they're making affect every single one of us in a, in a very high stakes way. So I want to try to, as long as I can keep that happening for you guys, I, w- I will keep keep trying. So that's the story. Well, in the absence of information from the county, I'll just be able to provide it. So, Well, I like what you said last Friday when you stepped in to sub for the county, which was in the absence of good information, people fill in with bad information. And which is what I provide. Boy, isn't that the truth. <laughs> so we'll do our best to, to keep. And I also think it's really, I don't know, maybe I'm going on for too long about this, but I think from what I hear from listeners is that they really appreciate the regular information that they, that the, that the timeliness of it, that it's regular and they can depend on it, tune in for it. So anyway, we're, we're here, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to, we'll be here with you and we'll keep answering your questions every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Drew will be here Mondays and Wednesdays. We'll have somebody from the County here on Friday, hopefully. Uh, And that's it. So thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We're going to make way now for TUC radio with economist, Michael Hudson on finance capitalism. Thanks for listening, and have a good weekend.
You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.